The football pod with Paddy and Andy. If the opposition can smell blood this year, we're as well packing in because even if Cumberford's kickouts are as good as Cluxton's, every team is taking a step forward. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Car insurance is boring, but saving money bounces it into brilliance. Enter promo code SPORT and save 40 euro off your car insurance with GetSetGo.ie. Oh, the shape that will get. If you've got all the fans down. Can we not knock it? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions on anything, man. Religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you, except for those two, have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you. Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. I'll tell you what, if this comes off, you can do what you want tonight. You've had a terrible 16 months. Kids, you can stay up. Don't you dare go to bed. The rest, call your boss. You ain't coming in in the morning. You deserve this. England deserves this. Feel it, write it. All the pent-up emotion within 50 seconds has been wiped away. Just try to be safe and follow the rules or I'm going to be in one hell of a trouble. Those were the words of Sam Matterface as England ran out extra time winners against Denmark to progress to the European Championships 2020 final. This is Team 33. Welcome along. End the call here with you for the next hour or so. And I'm joined on the line by Oshie McQuarrens and by Jack O'Toole as we gear off for an England-Italy Euro 2020 final this Sunday. Lads, welcome along. Ender, how's it going? Thanks for having us, Ender, as always. Is there a reverse Irish arrogance about this England team because of the amount of arrogance this England, not the England team, but the England nation has for this team? For example, I'm pretty sure every Irish person was supporting Czech, or Czech Republic and Ukraine and Denmark uh, all throughout this tournament. And no doubt they will be supporting Eng- Italy going into this final. So are, are we being too arrogant that this England team might actually be pretty decent, Jack? They're very decent. Like, there's there's no doubt about that. Like, in terms of their the quality that they have available, like, there's a reason they're amongst the top two or three teams going into it from there. Um, because you just look at the attacking talent, and it's even with like the likes of Saka and Sterling playing from there. Like, I was even going through Twitter from there last night, and you just kind of had a sense that I think he'd only made one substitution maybe in the ninety minutes, and you could just feel like there was just like. I just kept on seeing like Rashford, Sancho, Foden was just invading um, my timeline from there. So like the wealth of options is 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 huge. In terms of us being reverse, I think we like to look at them always getting ahead of ourselves, right? Like we see like Rio Ferdinand in the in the before the Scotland game. I just can't see us losing, you know. Like I can't see anything other than an England win, and then of course it's a nil-all draw. But in terms of us, like I I don't think we're a million miles off them at times like we like to slag it but like there's still some people around that are saying you know if Roy Keane didn't walk out into Saipan like you know who knows what would have happened if we made a semi-final you know so we're not like I, I don't think we're a million miles off at times when it's going good for us it's just for the last two decades it hasn't really gone well for us so we enjoy the shade and fraud of of looking at this England team um, seeing the likes of Rio Ferdinand, seeing them automatically jump ahead to the final, um, it's coming home, and we're kind of waiting for the car to inevitably just 
completely implode into flames on the um but it it just it it's it hasn't happened yet um but then again it's it's like when you look at that last four and particularly watching i think that italy spain game from there did with all respect to denmark those three teams you look and going at the semi-finals um, and probably wouldn't split much between them. And then, of course, two of them are there now. So it's going to make for a very intriguing final. Yeah, I think going into this game, it was almost as if it was just inevitable that they would get past Denmark. And the fact that Mikkel Damsgaard absolutely slammed the ball home to put Denmark 1-0 up in the first half, I think everybody thought, okay, this is it. This is the moment. Now it's all going to come crashing down and the media is going to turn against them. And the delight within the Irish Twitter of uh, the falling of England was starting to ramp up again. And then, of course, the equalise, it was more of an OG than a Sterling goal, but I think Sterling would have got it anyway. And then the penalty comes in extra time, Harry Kane misses. I shouted yes, and then immediately I felt incredibly silly because he just slammed home the rebound from Schmeichel's uh, attempted save. Let's talk about the game then, Oshin. Uh This game, I think everyone thought, you know, Denmark were definitely not favourites going into this game, but there were no pushovers. And in the first half, I think they were they were all pretty decent and they just probably deserved to be leading at halftime. Yeah, I thought they were actually better. Than, they were better than I thought they were going to be, in fairness. Um, I thought I thought England would win it well. I thought England would win, but I thought, I thought England would win it well. And I thought this might just be a step too far for this Danish side. I know obviously they played so well against Wales and um, so well in the last round as well. The, the group stage is like, I mean, it's hard to kind of, people talk about obviously all oh, the two losses they started with, but like that, the circumstances that they came under, I mean, that's so, so like, it's so unusual that you can't really judge them based off that. But I just thought that this was probably going to be a step too far anyway. England just had too much quality, but they started off so well. Like Danes were, they were really, really sharp. Uh, Damsgaard looks like a serious player in fairness and he took his goal brilliantly but actually reminiscent the game was really reminiscent I suppose of, of England against Croatia from 2018 where a free kick puts one side ahead but ultimately the other the other side win it after extra time but yeah I thought Denmark were good in the first half but then I mean that you could see yeah, like an extra time especially they got so tired like they, was, they were on their like some players were on their last legs like genuine in the last leg and they had Schmeichel to thank for a lot of a lot of really really good saves to keep them in the game so yeah, I think Denmark were probably better better than I thought they were going to be. And they're, they are a good side, I think. But, like, England were always going to beat them. England were always the better side. I think we have to give Denmark so much credit, though, just in general, for the, not just for what they've done on the pitch. Do you know what I mean? But consider, when you consider the circumstances, to even get to the semi-final is unbelievable. Like, it's an unbelievable achievement. Mm. So, um, it was, it was, it was a fair, it was all, would, would have always been a bit of a fairy tale for Denmark to to beat England, um, all things considered. But no, they are a good side, there's no doubt about it. Had they had Ericsson, would it be different? Maybe, Jackie, you kind of spoke about the Roy Keane, if Ireland had Roy Keane in 2002, if Denmark had Ericsson now. Like, there's a lot of different mitigating circumstances there. But I was impressed by them, yeah, in the first half. Like, just, they just ran out of legs and England, that goal was coming. I know we'll probably talk about the penalty a little bit later, but even if that doesn't, if that isn't given a penalty, you imagine England do go on to score. I know there was, what, six, seven minutes to go, but like, it just would have been English barrage and, you can imagine they would have broken them down at some stage. Yeah, it definitely seemed that way. Uh, on Denmark, I I think it's the most extraordinary story, I think, in recent memory when it comes to the football story. I didn't know if they were going to continue the tournament, let alone get to the semi-final after their cal- their their captain, their talisman, their best player in Christian Eriksen 
pretty much died on TV, on live TV. And it was an unbelievable turnaround. For I know that, you know, the group stage, the way that third place sides actually got through helped them in the end. And that's how they got through. But I think they were one of the best teams going into this. And a lot of people had them as dark horses anyway. They were really good. They were a really good side, really well drilled and passed the ball but about really well. And I think they showed a few holes in this England system that can be exploited, though, because you got those wing backs flying up, uh, Luke Shaw and Kyle Walker playing as a sort of quasi centre back, right wing back role. That's where if you can drag them out, Jack, you can definitely get in behind that defence. You can as well. And I think it's more, I kind of more look at, maybe not specifically, well, one, I, I kind of look like maybe it's put some respect on our name. It makes that 5-1 a couple of years ago. Maybe we can maybe spin yeah. no, that off a little no, bit easier. No, it <laughs> <laughs> the disaster class, yeah. No, we, um, well, no. Well, what we did in that game was just let Christian Eriksen do what he wanted to do. That was like, that was, that was what that was about. That was our fault. Yeah, yeah. No, I still have night terrors. We don't, we don't need to revisit that. Um, but no, I think like for me, I, I kind of more look at it as like a tournament kind of view. I, I think like ever since I kind of look at like teams that would always come from nowhere in these tournaments. Obviously, the most kind of famous example would be Greece, two thousand and four. But if we even go back a couple of years ago, we see you know Iceland in two thousand sixteen, or we'd see even though Colombia would have Hamas uh, Rodriguez, they kind of bolted from from nowhere a couple of years ago as well. So I do think it's a testament, and it probably. Uh, building off a little bit of what you were saying with just being organized from there obviously Ericsson on, on paper is by far the most talented player or most accomplished player in that squad but it, it does kind of give hope to the smaller nations of, of kind of what you can do if you're organized and galvanized and you know you have a clear identity of, of how you're going to play in, in a structure because even though what I thought England last night they did look and especially the first 10 minutes they're all over them particularly towards the end um, you know, they were really kind of camped outside their box then from there. But at the same time, outside of the free kick, Denmark still had some chances from there. And I think that's what you kind of play if you're if you're a country of that type of that type of with that type of team where you look at the England eleven and across the board you're thinking they're they're a better team. But even twelve months before that, I think Denmark actually beat England, you know, which was um it it, it, it kind of makes these tournaments so fascinating from there. But I suppose what we're talking about maybe previously before we even got on the air there from there that if the way it was going from there you did have a sense that eventually England were probably going to crack them down but when they did get the goal and obviously you know dubious circumstances to say the least um they completely reverted then from there Grealish went off they brought Trippier on they kind of went five at the back there was a general sense of nervousness um, in the in the ground from there, which I, which I kind of quite thought was quite telling. But particularly in the last like five minutes of extra time, they they looked quite comfortable. They were spraying the ball around quite nicely. Um, didn't look like like it, they were they were about to buckle or they were they were kind of on 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 the edges from there. So, well, I do think Denmark is, is another example of a, of a I suppose this tournament's fairy tale, um, to say the least. I I do think that, that ultimately the quality did did prevail from there and, and I think once you get into these last semi-finals you look at the Italy-Spain game of the day which was just it was a phenomenal match from there um, and really of a match of high quality it kind of did give you that feel of like what we'd always see with the last eight or the last 16 in the Champions League um, it, there's, I think that when you do have a good organised team, there's, there's a, you can get to a semi-final and stuff, but when you're really talking about the final and going all the way, 
you do need that quality, which I, I do think this England team has. Yeah, that's the that's the question mark I have over this England team is how romantic is this win really? When you look at the way that they got to the final, you know they had you know the the group stage. They, I suppose they didn't concede a goal until the semi final, but that's because they're playing with two defensive midfielders and basically playing six defenders on the pitch when they have the most exciting team on paper, especially in in, in attack. So. England fans aren't going to care, Oshin, about that. They're not going to care how they won it. They're not going to care about the sterling stuff. What they do care about is winning it. So how do you feel about this England team? Because they should be more exciting than they are, and they're probably the most boring team to watch. Yeah, they should be more exciting, definitely. But then you could probably look on the other side. If they're more exciting, they definitely probably aren't going to be as solid as they are too. Mm. So like from a neutral perspective, obviously, I mean, from a neutral perspective, it's going to take us probably a lot anyway to to like an English team. But like this one in particular, like you look at on paper, like for me, they have so many, they have a lot of likeable players, a lot more likeable players than say England did maybe in like Euro 2004, the World Cup in 2010, a lot more likeable players than, than them, I think. But they don't, I mean, it's, they're not great to watch. Like last night, I mean, Obviously, like all things considered, it was always going to be kind of, it was always going to be cagey enough, I suppose, like Wembley semi-final, first time England was going to look into reach points since 1966. It was always going to be cagey enough. It wasn't a great game to watch. You know I mean, like for me, Italy and Spain was far, far better. Just uh, oh, yeah. from a neutral perspective, far better. I think everyone would probably tend to agree. But England got the job done. And as you said, and like no one's going to, in like 10 years, I mean, they still talk about 1966. Like, and what's that? Like, they still have on about that. So, like, if England do go on and win this and they go on and win it with playing five at the back and two defensive midfielders, no one's going to say that in 10 years. No one's going to go, well, but to think of how they played, it's not, you know, it's not going to make a single blind bit of difference. Like, they still won the game. They won. They won the tournament. Like, they look at the team that's like Kane, Sancho, Sterling, Green. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, what an attacking team that was. Like, that was brilliant. But no, you know, you, you actually watch the game. It's like, well, not really. But it doesn't really matter because, like, to get to a final, to I mean, to get to a final, to beat, like, now they will have to, if they beat Italy, that will be. Because I know, I mean, I, I actually don't really want to take it away from England, to be fair, because they're a really, I mean, they're a really good team. I think everyone knew going into this tournament they were a really good team. Everyone kind of thought that they might just do the, do that England thing where they kind of get to, like, the quarterfinals and, like, lose, or they get to, like, I mean, obviously, the semifinals, Croatia. They always thought, like, okay, they'll hit, they'll hit a wall. They haven't hit that wall yet. They are always were a really good team. So, like, I don't kind of want to take anything away from that. But if they beat Italy, I think that will be, the, like, Germany... The Germany win was impressive in ways, but like that's not that's not the same Germany team from no. say that that won the world. It's nowhere near. I mean, a lot of it still mm. has quality, but I think Low Jochen Low is just he's he's kind of past that. It's not a great German team. The rest of the wins then Ukraine. Like I'd say, if you put eleven of us together, we'd probably beat Ukraine. They were rubbish <laughs> against England. Like I, I did, it was terrible. Duff was right when he said that it was the most nailed on thing ever that they're going to beat them. And then you look at Denmark, obviously full of heart, good side, but not. Not world class. Italy will be the one. That'll be the first real test that they've had. Like I did, as a Germany, mm. I, I don't really kind of count that one. I think this will be the real test. And if they win it, then you know what I mean. They'll have to show quality to win that game. I think that there's no doubt they'll have to. I, they won't. It won't work. I don't think what they're like being rigid. Five at the back, two defensive midfielders. Not great football. That will not work against Italy because Italy are kind of doing it. Italy are nearly doing the same thing, but with way more style. So, like, I, mm-hmm. I don't think it'll work. I can see Italy just, I can see Italy scoring early, kind of doing that shut up shop thing, just kind of throwing themselves around a little bit, getting annoying the English, 
and maybe grind out a one 0 win. You, that, I can see it kind of going like that. So I think Italy is that's the that's the real test, and I'm actually glad to see it because Spain. You, I think maybe that would have worked a little bit better against Spain because Spain are nice. Spain works actually a lot better than I thought they were going to be as well throughout this tournament. But they're nice. They don't. They're not kind of. I mean, we even saw it with the Chiellini and uh, Jordi Alba thing. Like yeah. that was brilliant. Like, but that, like Alba was having none of that. Like he was so like so serious. And Chiellini just kind of took the piss a little bit. But like that kind of shows you that that's just a completely different mindset. Like these are these Italians are nasty. Like whereas if if England came up against Spain, I would say yeah, I think England have the edge there mm. in 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 a number of different ways. But. Mm. This will be, yeah. If this will be the true test, there's no, no problem. Yeah, I I agree with pretty much all of that. The uh, England team remind me a little bit of, you know, say Jose Mourinho taking a side to the quarterfinal or the final of an FA Cup and then coming up against Pep Guardiola. You know, the it, it it reaches to a certain level. You come up against a team from a certain level and. That that style of play just doesn't work anymore. So I I don't think England can be cagey against Italy because I think Italy will destroy them if they try and sit back and just soak up the pressure like they did. Because Denmark, I mean, Denmark t- took the game to England for large chunks of the, the first half mm. and almost almost score, scored on several occasions. Pickford looked rattled. He was, you know, passing the ball out to the the Danish attackers. The the defense looked ragged enough. You know, the Danish players were picking up the ball just on the on the edge of the D and creating space where there shouldn't really have been space between the defense. So if you're thinking Italy just, was... Just, just on that, just on that, sorry to, Yeah, go on. Sorry to cut across, but just on that, like, I think England will be looking at Italy and they'll be looking at that Morata goal and they'll be thinking, we can split, we, if, if we come out yeah. and we play football, we can tear them apart because that was a, like, that was a, that was a great goal, but like, you look at it, it's maybe, what, four passes? That's all it really took. Mm. You know what I mean? To kind of, and people talk about how good this Italian team are and they are great defensively, so strong, Italian football, like, Built on defense, built on their defense, Chiellini, Benucci, things like that. But all it took was like four, one, two, three little intricate passes goal. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So England, England can maybe look at that as well and think, well, if we yeah. start to open up a little bit, we have the they have the talent, no doubt about it. We have the talent to kind of play around them, maybe. Yeah, they need to they need to hold the ball anyway and make sure that Jorginho is not in the game. Before we move on to Italy and Spain and talk a little bit more in depth about that game, uh, was it a penalty, Jack? Yeah, I I don't really think so. Like I just I, it was. He obviously left your man for dead, and then he got like right into like basically the seat of the defense. Then from there, um, and I was kind of watching the replays, and it was like once you start getting into like reverse angles, and you're really trying to like, okay, it didn't show it on this angle, then you're going to reverse angle. I think you're really kind of nitpicking from there. But I would have thought with like because one of my mates, like I, for whatever reasons, these things always come back to bar, like you know. Um, but I I would have thought like, and it was an interesting point that I'd heard today, which is like. This is the biggest probably decision of the tournament from there. You're in, you know, the depth of extra time. Like, the referee probably should go over to the screen then from there. Because um, I think, like, like given the course of that match, given the context of it being a semi-final, I think he, he should be going over to have a look at that himself like from there because it's the biggest talking point of the game um, from there. So... I I didn't think it was. I heard Sterling's interview afterwards. I mean, what else is he gonna say? He was like, as you know, I took a tumble. Like, but mm-hmm. it is. I just thought the funny thing was like just how these things go and some of the spin. Like, 
um like you know all of a sudden like sterling gets the penalty and england are streetwise you know it's like really like i don't i i i don't think it's like god oh, they've learned from previous like it just it's amazing the different kind of you know you can wrap the tree basically however you want depending on the result but now i didn't think it was a pen but like i suppose one thing i did want to touch on england and it was kind of building what you were saying with jose Mourinho a bit was i think that fascinated me is that like just Southgate in general, not so much his demeanor and, you know, everything he's done with the knee and just how he's generally he's never put a foot wrong in terms of, um, you know, his social stances and stuff like that. I'm, I'm more thinking his actual tactics from there and the fact that, like, if, if, if he stumbled at any stage during this tournament, um, because he'd been playing two defensive midfielders the entire time, he he would have just got beaten over the head for basically, like last night, having Foden on, and Sancho on the bench and Rashford, not bringing them into the game early enough. He would have completely got destroyed for that. And like my mates were kind of texting me last night, particularly when it was getting on towards like full time. Like, what's he still doing with Phillips and Rice on? Bring one of them off, throw Foden on. You've then marked him back and go for it. And I didn't think he was going to do that because I was like, he hasn't, he's never shifted away from these two defensive midfielders. So of course you see Henderson come in then from there. And I think it is the big, it's the big thing where before this tournament, you would have looked at all the attacking talent that England had and you would have looked at them defensively and you would have looked at the likes of Stones and Maguire and Walker. And they've all, while they're all good players, if you've watched the Premier League over the last couple of seasons, they've all had their own moments of complete howlers from there. And I think that's, that's how a lot of us would have thought if it did come crashing down it was going to be true that but it actually hasn't materialized that at all they've actually for all the attacking talent they've had with the exception of the ukraine game they haven't really gone on barrages and completely cut teams open they've and their defenders have been they've been more solid than they've ever looked so i think and and particularly with the with the germany game from there i think southgate even came out afterwards and said if he got that wrong he would have been he probably could have got his head gone from there and he's he hasn't been afraid to make changes. Even like last night, he brings Grealish on, and then they go up and he brings them off. He's completely stuck to his guns from there. And I think he's act, answered a lot of critics from... Because I think there was, while he got so much plaudits in the last tournament, there was a lot of serious doubts over some of his selections. And particularly the first game, he's playing Trippier at left back from there. You kind of feel that he was very much on the on the watch from there but it's um i think that's that's one of the more impressive things i've, I've probably found with this team i'm i'm still unsure about gareth Southgate. i'm still unsure about his decision making at times i thought Grealish was the right sub to make for the wrong man and i know ultimately sterling goes on to win the penalty but i i, I don't think this substitute impacted the game at all really and and then you know I just I, I'm not a fan of the idea that you have to go out and win this. I, I'm not. I, usually, I would be a you know win at any means necessary, but none of it means you know being the most boring team to win. I thought I thought it was very ironic that they used like clips. You know, I don't know if you just watched this on ITV or RT or where you just watched it, but they used clips of like Sir Bobby Robson and Brian Clough and. As Kevin Keegan and previous big English managers who who all of them had an attacking philosophy and had the philosophy that we want to go out and play the best football possible. And then Gareth Southgate goes out and plays, you know, five defenders, two defensive midfielders, and then his substitutes bringing on our energy men to, you know, just basically keep the ball. So I I'm I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of that. I, I would have preferred to see them kill the game in another way, but I mean 
I'm not managing a team in the European final. So maybe that's maybe that's the key difference here. Just to finish up with England then, Oshin, last word to you on this game. The reaction to it, uh, the reaction of the commentary teams, the reaction of the English press. <laughs> I mean, we expected this. We, we knew it was yeah. going to happen. Yeah, always gonna. It was always gonna happen, and it would have been the same if England had lost. It would have been the complete opposite, and they would have been tearing down Southgate, as you said earlier. Like it would have been the tactics he got it wrong. How could we not do this? This was our time. It was supposed to come home. All this rubbish. But yeah, I mean, it's gonna be like that, and it's gonna be like as much as in fairness, as I said, like there are a lot of local players in this England team. Like I, they, I don't mind this England team, but if they win it, it's gonna be unbearable. You may never watch Sky Sports. Don't even bother watching Sky Sports news ever again. If England win this thing. Because it's going to be every single tournament now is going to be all oh, our brave boys from 2020, all this kind of nonsense. But like that's always going to happen. Do you know what I mean? It's going to be the exact same every single time. So uh, yeah, it's it is quite it is quite unbearable. Yeah, the ITV commentary was uh, very tryhard, very uh, scripted, very just no, no, wasn't really having it. But I mean, it's, you're going to get that, and it's going to be worse for the final. And like the build up is. All the pundits in the studio. It's going to be all England, 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 England. Oh yes, Italy. We're playing Italy. Oh yeah, Italy too. Don't know. It's going to be all. Well, like at, at like, halftime, at halftime in the Italy Spain game, we were watching an interview of Luke Shaw talking about slippers. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> but Italy, English, the English fans will eat that up. So, like, you know what I mean? If it if it works, it works. But yeah. no, I, it's going to be yeah. It's it's hard. It's going to be hard work now for the next. It'll be hard work till Sunday. It'll be hard work Sunday. If they lose, then. We'll, we'll see on what I, I don't think I don't think you can really slate Southgate that much if they lose no like, no but you got the, you got them so. or this or the England the England team in general like, you can't really like I don't think I think they I mean they'll probably find a way but I don't think it's probably warranted like they get to the far like you could probably just claim it to be like natural progression semi-final in 2018 final in 2020 and they'll go Bleh. but I don't think you can slate them Really? Have you seen their fans that booing pretty much every oh. everything in sight is uh, it's one of their favorite pastimes? I think, there, so I think they I will. Something to find a way. Like I wouldn't. Completely I think they will, that. but I don't think it'll be warranted. Yeah, I, I I think it will too, and it'll probably be the very obvious players like you know Raheem Sterling, uh, Bakayu Saka, Marcus mm. Rashford. You know, very particular players. You know, it wouldn't be Hurricane be, yes. or Kieran no. Trippier. It wouldn't be any of those, but it'd be very no, specific no. English players yeah. for no yeah. particular reason in the English yeah. press. Uh, yeah, the commentary for me, I, I, I tweeted this after the game. Like, whatever about VAR, whatever about, you know, the Hungary situation, the rainbow flag. The, the main thing that I'm taking away from this is that somebody in a powerful position in ITV decided that Sam Matterface was a better comment, commentator then Clive Tilsley and promoted him to the lead commentary ahead of this this tournament. So I that's that's one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in my life because Sam Matterface didn't even call the game an extra time. He was just literally him and Lee Dixon were acting like fans, and that's not how you want your commentary team to act in such a big occasion. Fair enough, you want them to be excited and you know natural excitement, but this was like this was almost like scripted excitement from Sam Matterface. Yeah, do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of like when like. It's it's not just a semi final. It's like he's trying. I don't know what their version of railing in the ears is or whatever. If they have something like that, but it's like he's going for the sound bites and for the montages and for that to be the iconic. You know, maybe it's like his um, you know, Martin Tyler Reguero moment. He's mm-hmm. trying to get that um, you know, that that kind of moment for himself, and it it just seemed all completely unnecessary. Which is why, like, 
look, whatever about watching it on RTE with the with, with, with the kind of punditry lineups that they have sometimes, like it's um at least you're not gonna get that it's just complete like, you know, hero mode, like, you know, it's like it's the semi final, we're not watching you know, it's not Dunkirk here, so like let's yeah. settle down <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, like the, the the main example I would use would be, you know, a nation holds its breath. That's an unbelievable line, but it was, you know, it wasn't scripted. It was on the spot. It was amazing. Really iconic commentary. Jimmy McGee getting excited over Maradona. Like I don't think mm. Sam Matterface would have been able to would have done that if it was, you know, um, uh, Denmark versus ukraine in the semi-final and it was the danish who had who had you know this dramatic victory he's he's not repeating that to another team so he's not being you know he's not being he's being biased towards england and i i don't really like that with my main commentary team on national tv but anyway they do have opponents in the final and that is italy we'll talk about their semi-final with spain just after the short break team 33 this is OTB Sports Radio. Hi, welcome back to Team 33 and a call here with you in the company of Oshie McQuarrens and Jack O'Toole because we're looking ahead to the Euro 2020 final between Italy and England. Italy beating Spain 1-1. It went to extra time and then to penalties. And throughout the entire game, you know, the amount of narratives that we ran through with Alvaro Morata, it was the Alvaro Morata narrative bingo when you were looking at this game you know going into the game he was dropped because he missed a whole wreck of chances in important moments in the games prior to this then he comes on and he scores the clutch goal at the clutch moment and sends the game into extra time and then immediately becomes the enemy again by missing the main the most important penalty for Spain to send it lay through to the final so <laughs> Alvaro Morado Oshin where do you stand on him? I actually thought he was really good when he came on. I actually thought, like, obviously, he took the goal brilliantly, all things considered. Like, when you think of his lack of confidence, like, he took it away really nicely. But I thought he was really good. I thought he ran the lines well. I thought he stretched the defence really well. Like, it seemed like they opened up a lot. Spain opened up opened up Italy a lot when Morata was kind of running the channels a little bit more. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, he could be pretty good. But then, as soon as... I know it's easy to say in hindsight, but as soon as you saw him stepping up, like... He, he looked so nervous. He did not look confident at all. He did never look like he was going to score that penalty. And like when he did it, you kind of, you kind of felt a little, I mean, I wanted Italy to win, but I mean, I kind of felt, I did feel a bit sorry for him. Like, I think he's, he's a funny striker. Like, I think he's a good striker. I think he's a good player. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if people have this preconceived idea that he's a bit rubbish. Like, I, I, I know he wasn't great at Chelsea, but he wasn't terrible either. I remember he scored a hat-trick in like his first game against Stoke, I think, was it? Yeah. I thought he was okay for Chelsea. Like, There's obviously that Chelsea number nine kind of curse that had been kind of around with the likes of Falke or Pato and lads like that. But I thought he was okay. It's, I mean, he wasn't horrendous. He wasn't great. He wasn't horrendous. And then when he came on, then I was thinking against it, I was thinking, oh, yeah, Morata, this is kind of what they need. But no one's going to remember that he scored the equaliser or no one's going to remember that he actually... Like it's not like you're gonna look back in that game and say, "Oh, actually, Morata, he, uh, mm. he actually spread the defense pretty well, and he ran the channels well." You're gonna no. say, "No, he missed." He missed the man pass. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I don't think people have preconceived ideas that he's rubbish, and I I think it actually comes from I might be wrong here. I think it comes from that Sid Lowe interview he did a couple of years ago. I, I don't know if you remember this one where he he spoke yeah. about you know how nervous he would get in, in games and how um how in his own head and how he got quite low after games and things like this and i think people actually felt quite sorry for him for a long time and it's an interesting one because i have i have a theory now that you know people see him as a bottler that's what people see alvaro morata as people see him as somebody who misses important chances at important moments 
And I actually think it's the opposite way around because if you think about the amount of chances that he's missed in his career, in his short career, because he's quite a young guy still, and he still comes back. Every single game still comes back and scores big goals. So if anything, he is more bottled than most strikers because I think most strikers, Jack, would have retired by now if they missed as many chances as he is. Yeah, to an extent. like, And I, I just think like... Sometimes I think it's it reminds me of Higuain, maybe the narrative with him for 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 a good while as well, and 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 even on the other side we're probably seeing it a little bit with Chiro Mobley, but like even when Morata and obviously it did pan out from at, at Chelsea, it kind of went up in flames from there. But then you just look at the clubs that he's played for, and I go, right, well he's played for Real Madrid, Chelsea, Juventus, and Atletico Madrid. Like it's he's not running around at Stoke, and you know, like he's he he's playing for these big clubs, so. They haven't all been duped. Like, there is a player there. And then you've seen some of the goals that he scored in this tournament from there. And they're big goals and crucial moments as well. So, it is funny. but Because talent-wise, he has everything from, from there. He does actually have a, a lot of the skills that you'd want. It's just I'm trying to think of a player that is just, like, mentally, as, as Oshin was saying with that, with that, that, um, that penalty, just psychologically, he just... He doesn't give you with, with, with what you've seen some with strikers. So like they, they look at like the Ibrahimoviches and and some of these like players that are just you know they're the most confident people on the pitch because they have to be the one banging in the goals. Like what you've seen from Aguero the entire time, they they they, they have that confidence and that aura about them. Suarez as well, um, and he just doesn't. He he kind of seems to be ever self doubting, but has an abundance of talent then from there. And it's like, if he was able to kind of, you know, like, I'm, like the most biggest example of it is, is Ronaldo. I mean, Ronaldo has the ultimate talent, but he also has that, like, I'm a God when he steps on the pitch. And Morata just is the kind of complete opposite of that. And it's probably similar enough to Timo again, Timo Werner, where you see a guy with immense talent, but just mentally and confidence wise is, is completely shot. And I, I don't know, how you how you kind of build that back up, and I think the interesting thing for for the, these guys as well is that, particularly now in the social media era, and I think Morata was talking about this in the tournament, like torrent of abuse that comes in after some of these games. If you're a player that's already like that on the maybe kind of dealing with confidence issues and getting yourself into good form, um, being the subject of complete national media attention, complete national media scrutiny as being the talisman for this Spain team and then also dealing with that. That that can't be easy as well. Um, but I think ultimately at this stage, while you did say he was young, I think this puppy is, is going to be who he's going to be. I, 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 it's hard to see him really changing too much from what he's been over the last couple of years, which is a talented striker, but someone that when he's named on the team sheet, you're not like, well, that's the man that's going to take us home, you know? Um, but sometimes it does actually end up being that way. So he's, he's fiercely interesting, right? Uh, just from that perspective. Yeah. He's incredibly interesting as a player. Hard to figure out what he's actually like. I think he, if he had that mental side, he would be world-class, but I just don't think he's ever going to get past that. I'd be with you in that. Another player, just to finish on Spain, because I think they were actually a lot better than a lot of people people expected with, you know, after the COVID situation at the start. So, Pedri, one hundred percent passing accuracy at the end of the game. That I mean, that that is something special. Yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. Sick. sick. Like he's kept Did the angle out. Okay. Sorry, Anagol. Sorry, he, 
yeah, like he's he's what I thought like just as an eighteen year old kind of stepping in from there and like another one from the Barcelona Academy and there's a couple of them that from there, Ansu Fati as well. They that they're kind of tipping for big things and this guy's just stepped into an international tournament and completely announced himself from there and he, he does kind of have some Iniesta uh kind of vibes to him from there. He's um I don't know. It's it really, it's it's hard to put in, as you said, like someone that has like, had like, I don't think he put a pass wrong until like, was it nine minutes or 10 minutes into extra time then from there? And you're just like, for that level of composure at, 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 at that age from there in your first major international tournament, you're kind of like, well, okay, well this, this guy's going to be around for the next decade now mm-hmm. um, and be at this level. It's, it's, it's incredible because I think for this Spanish team, what we all remember the 2008 to 2012 run where they had the crux of probably the two best clubs in the world in, in Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, they've kind of flamed out a lot of tournaments since. And I think this one from there, while you're looking at the team and you're like, geez, there's not a single Real Madrid player in here. Like, and you're looking at some, and like you're, you're looking at like, you've seen Ferran Torres for City and, you know, Oyarzabal and, and these type of guys from there, Pau Torres, like there's a lot of kind of for, you know, in terms of big, uh, I suppose, European Champions League football, a lot of guys that are relatively unknown. But what Enrique did when they, even before this tournament started, dusted Germany, they put like five past Croatia, like they're scoring goals. Uh, and he clearly, I think it's a phenomenal job by Enrique from there. And I thought like, you know, while they did go out in penalties, I think for, for while well, that was a great game, they, they probably did look the better of the side um, uh, for, for most of that match um, just couldn't finish their chances. Yeah, they definitely got better as the tournament went on. But going into that penalty shootout, Oshin, I know you loved what Giorgio Chiellini did. So, I mean, it, it was over before it started. When he, oh, once, once he, once yeah. he started with that, I was watching it here with a few lad, and, and as soon as he died, that's it. That's it. Be as, <laughs> be as well just calm enough. Don't even do the shootout. Do you know what I mean? Don't even, no, don't even, at some point, like, because that's it. There's no way. There's, like, Chiellini's not going into that and, and losing after that. There's no way. No. I've never seen a man more confident in my life no. that he's going to win that penalty shootout. I don't know what you was know, said in the huddle, but like... For anybody who hasn't seen it, so essentially what happens is the, the coin toss is happening and Chiellini's bouncing around like a kid trying to point over to say that he wants the penalties behind the Italy goal and then he, he, he gives, he starts hitting Alba <laughs> in the chest, just smack him in the chest, laughing and gesturing at him. Then gives him a massive bear hug before it starts, as if he, it was just a he like as if Alba was in in the joke, and Alba was so clearly not, not in, in the joke. Imagine, imagine how shook you'd be if that was you. <laughs> I mean, and like I, I would never, I wouldn't be able to take it. Like, I no. would just be like, no, just I'd rather just give me that fourth place medal because right <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking this. Like. Uh, yeah, it, was, it reminds it me a bit of like Muhammad Ali, Sonny Liston, when Ali's just going crazy. Then from there, and Sonny Liston's just kind of like, "What is going on here?" He's just so yeah. kind of overwhelmed by it. But also from there, I think that like if you're in that stage of the quarterfinals, semifinals, and because all these managers and there's three or four assistant managers from there. By the way, the Italians very stylish, most stylish coaching team in the in the history of football. I think I think they have that, but. They, they obviously have their penalty takers 1 to 10 lined out from there. And you can imagine Chiellini's at the back of that order, like, from there. Yeah. So if he's not going to be taking one in the first five, maybe that empowers him so much more just to go, let me just completely try and get in Alba's head here. Because I don't really have much to lose. Like, I probably won't be taking a penalty here. So 
why not like as a last throw of the dice let me try and put my impact on this game but um it's gonna be one of the lasting moments of the tournament like just uh really excellent antics from there yeah uh, during the penalty shootout Bonucci hit Italy's second penalty I think maybe it was their third penalty and Martin Keown was questioning why you know the defenders were hitting the penalty I was like well I mean Martin defenders play a lot more ball now than they did in your day I mean come on it's, it's Bonucci yeah. Well. Yeah, absolutely he always when he stood up I was like every day of the week this is going yeah. in yeah, I was yeah. so confident. I was more confident in Benucci yeah. scoring than I was in Alvaro Morata scoring. Yeah. So th- th- that that leaves eventually it leads to Italy being in the final. And I think once we saw the group stages, apart from France, maybe getting in their way, but you know France had other ideas and <laughs> went went out a little bit too early for that. And Italy are in the final. They were they were serious contenders as the tournament took over. Thirty four games unbeaten now going into this final against England. I would have Italy as the favourites going into this ocean. Yeah, I think I probably would as well, in fairness. Um, 34 games unbeaten. They've shown, I think, as well, that they can win in a number of different ways. Like I think the Austria one showed us that. Because everyone was obviously impressed. I think Italy kind of did go under the radar a bit. I mean, obviously people knew they were good. But like when you don't have someone like it, because Italy like kind of feels like they obviously build themselves around solid defense but they always have someone like a Totti or a Del Piero or someone like that they always have that kind of little flat now Insignia maybe could be that but he's not quite like that superstar level so I didn't kind of have anyone like that who was kind of being hyped up going into the tournament so they kind of went under the radar a little bit and obviously in the first few games in the group stages they were kind of ripping teams apart and you're thinking oh look at this three nils all around like this is a superb side and they come up against Austria you're thinking ah it's easy to clatter them and then they have to work a little bit harder for that and you're thinking oh that's I think that is nearly to their advantage because they have to kind of show that not only are they kind of, not only can they blow teams away, they can grind out results when they need to do it. And I think that was kind of one as well. The Spain one was nearly like that towards the end. As well, Jack, you mentioned it. Like Spain mm. looked like much, I think, especially after they after Spain equalized, they were much the better side. And Italy kind of, they were slightly hanging on a little bit at times. So they kind of show that they can win kind of either way. Now, England, could you argue they can win either way? Yeah, they, as we said, they kind of, they battered Ukraine, but, I think anyone would have really battered Ukraine at that stage. So, like, mm. Italy just seemed like they're more versatile. I think in terms of, like, key battles and things like that, the midfield will be very, very interesting because I would say that Italy's midfield is stronger than the two of Phillips and Royce and then maybe whoever drops back to the or something like that. But then you look at a conversion, you say, like, well, Pedri had the time of his life in the midfield up against the Verratti, it was a Verratti, Barella and Jorginho. Mm. So you're kind of mm. like, do you know what I mean? If like obviously, I don't think Royce and Grealish are not that type of player that Pedri is, but you're kind of thinking, well, maybe it's not as kind of solid or it's not as kind of daunting a task as you might think. But I do still think that I think Italy will cause them trouble. I think you mentioned and like the wing backs and stuff like that for England getting in behind there, like Insigne, the likes of Insigne, Chiesa, if Berardi mm. comes on plays there, like they could have a field day if yeah. the space is there for them. You know what I mean? Would you maybe worry that? Immobile is not he's not having a I mean he's he's not having a good tournament but it's kind of working in Italy's favour it's kind of being masked a little bit because I don't think he's been that great but you're kind of looking at is it a case of well if you're t- talking about the two number nines nine, who's going to take the chances Kane is probably going to 100% take them more than Immobile is so is it going to come down to that is it going to be a game like that whereby the best number nine will will, will, uh, will change the game maybe but I, I, I do think it's tight I think it, it's it's a good, it's a good game. It's a good final. I mean, yeah, whatever we say about Italy, it's a good final. Should be, should be or a good England, game. Yeah. 
the the one thing about Immobile, he's he's a bit of a nuisance. I think he's just an annoying mm. player to watch. You know, he he doesn't particularly he loves, hold the ball well. Loves a bit of the you know that that Italian hand gestures, mm. misses multiple chances a game. But maybe maybe the fact that you know he's dragging people into positions and maybe creating space for other people to run into is his strength. But you know he's been very frustrating to watch at this tournament. But apart from that, you know, Jorginho, I think has been outstanding at this. Spinazzola not going to play in this tournament. Chiesa is my new favorite player for Italy, replacing Spinazzola. Uh, after he's just so direct in the way that he you know gets the ball direct, immediately, goes for goal or, or takes a shot. So I think mm-hmm. they they have players that can really hurt England going into this. Likewise, England do have a, have players that can impact the game as well and maybe cause Italy a few issues. One thing that Oshin mentioned there, Jack, and one thing that our friend Breen brought up as well is the lack of sort of star quality amongst mm. the the squads at this tournament. You know, France probably have the most iconic team at this. If you're looking at, you know, in a decade's time, what team are we going to remember? It's probably going to be that France World Cup team. What What's your thoughts on that? Like, because Italy, while they are missing the Totti, while they are missing, you know, Spain don't have a Raul, or you know that that type of iconic superstar playing for their, their sides, you know, there's a strong argument to be made that maybe these teams are better off without them. Yeah, I, it's probably where I was going to go lead with that when I was listening to Ushin talk just about like how probably composed they are from there. And like you looked at that, I think at one point in the first half there, Spain had like 70% possession, which you kind of expected like Spain to do. Like even if you go back when they got knocked out against Russia a couple of years ago, that's that's who Spain are and it's probably who they always will be from there. And Italy, to, to, a, to a, a counterpoint, they they play like a team that are thirty four unbeaten. They don't they don't look rattled. They don't like even when Spain are pressing from there. And I think Spain moved the ball as well as any team at this tournament. They you know Cellini or Bonucci they come in they clean it up or Donnarumma and out to the wing back and it's into variety and they kind of they get themselves out of danger. One of the things that I thought was interesting was. I think Spinozola is a huge loss from there. I think along with like Schick and maybe Jeremy Doku, he's, he's kind of been one of the ones that have probably had their stock rise the most from this tournament. But more importantly, he played on the left side and on the left, they've, they had like, I suppose, a triangle working up Arati, Spinozola and Insigne from there. And I think that, that's been probably some of the most dangerous players they've had. And bringing in Emerson, who really hasn't played a lot for Chelsea um, and I think you've seen it when he went on this huge kind of mazy run in the first half and Busquets kind of cleaned them up outside the box. That he He's probably a bit of a concern for me just because he, he looks like a guy that's probably not as sharp. Um, and that's only natural because he probably hasn't really kicked really much of a ball over the last six months. But in terms of the, the star quality from there, like they don't have a Totti or a Del Piero or an Andrea Perlo. They don't have those big names from there and even building on what you said with Immobile and missing chances it hasn't really mattered as much because you look at the goals that they've got and they have been from the likes of Chiesa just getting like a half chance even against Austria and kind of burying him one then from there and like he there's, there's Barella's come up with big goals against Belgium they, they seem to be getting goals from all over the pitch and Insigne has been a, been a I think he's I think he's been a player that's He's been playing very well for the last couple of years so because he's playing for Napoli. He probably hasn't had that, you know, that real kind of international kind of audience. Um, so I think there's a lot of people coming to the Insignia party as well. Um, but it's it, it it hasn't really just as I said with Spain there before with with their 
building on their previous generations of teams. Like Italy's in the exact same boat from there. It hasn't really mattered um, because they've they've really they've been playing they've been playing great football. Um, but I, I I do think that Spinazzola has been so good for them, and I I, I kind of wonder you know, how that is going to go um, down against England then from there, because they're obviously, you know, if they do play two pivots in midfield, um, it'll be interesting to see what they do to that left-hand side ability. Yeah. I can't wait for Jose Mourinho to never allow Spinazzola to attack ever again as soon as he's knocked out of this tournament. Jose Mourinho obviously revealed as the Roma manager today and, you know, did his usual press conference and it was classic Jose Mourinho again and talking about how his failures at other clubs have been a success everywhere else. So we'll see how he gets on with Spinazzola or if Spinazzola gets a, a move away from AS Roma uh, at the end of this tournament, maybe to a bigger club. That's usually what happens after these big tournaments. Just before we finish up then, Euros this Sunday, Wembley, England against Italy. I'll get your predictions. Jack, I'll let you go first. Who's going to win it? Um, I think it's going to mirror the 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 Italy Spain game. I can't see it probably being more than two goals from there. Um, one nil, one all, extra time. Um, I, I I think it is going to be tight. And if you kind of even looking at kind of betting lines, I don't think the bookies have them too too far apart either. So, um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Italy from there. I think they've been darling since the start of the tournament. Then from there, um, and I I just think. The most interesting thing for me is 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 like that Damsgaard goal. Um, while they did come back against Denmark, then from there, if if a moment like that happens and the sense of occasion with England from there, um, like even the, even Kane's penalty in his goal, like it wasn't a great penalty from Kane. Like you know, like it's like he didn't bury it. It was like Michael probably should have saved that penalty from there. And that sense of occasion, being in front of the home fans. The whole 66 stuff from there, um, that's, I think that's going to be the most fascinating thing because while Italy, are, I, look, it's a European final, they're going to be up for it regardless. They don't seem to have that same overbearing weight of pressure that I think this English team will have. So that's, that's, the, that's the thing that I think will probably give Italy the edge in a way, even though they are playing away from home. Oshin? Yeah, I actually think that's a great point in fairness, Jack made there. I think it, the pressure's on England, like everything is gonna be on England. Like imagine if you're one of the, if you're Harry Kane, like going into that game. Do you know what I mean? This is the chance to win, to to like bury the heart, like to exercise the demons of the last fifty years and all the narrative nonsense that comes with England in a major tournament. Like this the pressure is on so much. And I like naturally I would think that Italy would hold their bottle better anyway. But just everything coming into this with England, it's at it's at Wembley, sixty thousand. Oh, such hard times we've had. Cold, but every there's a million different narratives that it's just so, putting so much pressure on this England team that I think Italy will. I just think Italy. I fancy them anyway, but I I fancy them to hold their nerve more so. In terms of a, a score pick, yeah, I think I think it probably be it will be extra time. I'd say it'd be, I think again, I think Jack's right. It'd be one all. I think probably very tight game, and um, extra time could do it. If it goes to penalties, that that's that's interesting. If it goes to penalties, because two penalty shootouts in a row, very very rarely done. I don't think it's. I think like maybe once or twice has only ever happened where teams have won two penalty shootouts in a row. Some weird stuff like that. And of course, England and the penalties just don't really match. So like that would be interesting. But I think it'll be actually after extra time. I think Italy would probably would probably tend to hold their bottle a little bit better. There's less pressure on them. It's away from us, technically away from home for Italy. I just think. 
I just think they have more in them than England will. I think they'll be more used to the occasion, mm. perhaps. I know it is a young Italian team, but I just think in general, I think the mindset of the Italian players would probably be more used to to the the weight of occasion that's going to be on Sunday. Yeah, from a psychology perspective, you know, England are building this up to be a bigger occasion than just a match. Whereas I think everybody will tell you going into the final, you want to treat it exactly the same as if it's a group stage game. You know, it's it's another game. And I think Italy, there's a feeling of inevitability about it and almost maybe just Italian arrogance or class going into it where they just they just know they need to turn up, you know, be their best. Whereas England are, you know, all about history, all about World War II, all about this nonsense that don't really have anything to do with the match. So I, I, the, the psychology element is definitely interesting. I think if you're looking at it from cold-blooded perspective, you know, England, if you look at it, everything has gone their way so far. You know, they got Germany in the last 16, a German side that are not where they should be. Then they got Ukraine. You know, Ukraine probably didn't deserve to be there at all. Um, Sweden were probably a better side. Then you get Denmark at the end of, you know, a couple of games where they're just absolutely wrecked and they just about get past them. Whereas Italy are the best team that they are meeting and they're meeting them at a good period. So I think England will struggle. I think it'll be a tight game. It should be a good game. I think Italy are going to win it though. So hopefully next week we won't be talking about England winning the European Championship because, I mean, we'll be talking about that for years to come if that is the case. Osha McKearns and Jack O'Toole, enjoy the European Championships uh, final. Football's coming Rome. Let's go. (laughs) Football is coming Rome. Cheers, lads. We'll chat to you later. Thanks. Take it easy. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. All right, so that's us done on Team 33. Thanks for listening as always. Best of luck to OTB and Team 33's Karen Bradley this weekend. I know he will be one of the only men in OTB supporting England this weekend, but I will be happy for him if England win because he has been tormented for long enough at this period in time. Hopefully we will see a good final at least, if nothing else. As a neutral going into this, all I want is a good final regardless of the outcome. That's really the thing that I'm looking forward to the most. A good European Championship final because the tournament has been amazing. We will review the tournament and we will review the winners, be that England or be that Italy, next week. But until then, enjoy the final. Take away, Johan.